This is Amateur Logic, episode 154, for March 15th, 2021. This episode of Amateur Logic is brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com, and by ICOM. The great outdoors is calling. Get outside and under the stars with one of ICOM's ultimate SDR transceivers. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Amateur Logic. I'm George. I'm Tommy. I'm Mike. And I guess I'm John. Yep. <laughs> uh, greetings, John Amadeo. Thanks for joining us tonight. It's uh, good to have you back with us again. And uh, we'll have email a little bit later in the show here. So uh, there will be some excellent cheapness coming up. Well, thanks for having me. And I'm just humming that song in my head now. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, it gets stuck in there sometimes. We, we've been trying to get somebody to sing the theme song, but nobody will do it. Yeah, I tried to get you to. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, well, the captain has illuminated the seatbelt light, so you might want to buckle in. It could get a little bumpy tonight. Things are are kind of running behind a few minutes, had a few issues just in the hours leading up to the show tonight, I had some issues at work that a critical computer went down, and I had to deal with that unexpectedly. And then I came back here and turned on all the gear in the video studio, and I heard something that, a little buzz, a little crackle that didn't sound right. So let me just say, if you buy one of those really long power strips at Harbor Freight, you might want to kind of listen to it every now and then and make sure that <laughs> you don't hear noises coming out of it. So I had to redo some electrical stuff here, but I think we got it all ready to go now. But it did put us behind a little bit on figuring out some things. But, uh, well, you know, that's part of the fun of doing this. What's going on with that last man standing special event? That's coming up here fairly quick, isn't it? On the 24th. Yeah, it's coming soon. On the 24th. Yes, the, it's the whole week, right, John? Uh, what are the full dates? It's uh, it's the 24th to the 30th. Um, I had originally proposed a one-day, two-hour special event. And then uh, because of my affiliation with the Great South Bay Amateur Radio Club on Long Island, um, Lou and Sally, who run the uh, 12 Days of Christmas event, uh, said, you're out of your mind. It can't be um, – a day for two hours. It's, this has to be a week-long event. <laughs> so since they volunteered, um, I accepted that great offer. And um, yeah, it's just gotten bigger and bigger every day. Yeah, I see some things have changed since uh, we last uh, mentioned it. Uh, so what what's new with the event? Since last well, time you, you know, it, it's just, uh, it, it seems to be growing almost every day. And we have... Um, a lot of control operators that will be assisting us um, it, 
well, there's a we'll get to that video later, but we have a control operator representing KA6LMS a slash zero all the way through slash nine. We have uh, um, bonus stations KA6LMS and W6LMS. And I will be working, as will Arab AA6RA, working from the stage, directly from the stage, to make contacts directly or even uh, relay contacts. And there's a lot of digital stuff going on. So not to leave out uh, technician class licensees or people in other countries or who just don't have, if we just don't have the propagation. Not the least of which is going to be a... Uh, a multi-mode evening on Saturday the 27th, which I, which you guys are doing, the AmateurLogic.tv guys are doing, very similar to your own sound check. And I'm really excited about that because I've been getting uh, questions from other countries and people that uh, don't have, uh, you know, HF radio stations that want to participate. And I think that's going to facilitate that in a big way. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it. Um, and, uh, I see you put out a new uh, promo video, so if you guys have seen the video, uh, you may want to go check out the latest version of it because um, the soundcheck net, uh, the networks that we're using, some of the nodes have changed. We've got a few additional ones, so we want to make sure you get the current information for that. And we will be uh, starting at, uh, I think it's 2300 UTC on Saturday the 27th and going through uh, 0500 UTC on the 28th. Um, and so anyway, that's, that's the plan and we're, we're really looking forward to it. It's going to be great. I mean, there's so many paths into this event. Um, just having nationwide coverage is, is going to be really helpful because, you know, a lot of times people try to call the stage and they, they just can't make it, but with a little relay help, you know, maybe they can point us in the right direction or even if we have to do it as a relay, um, all of the control operators will be talking to each other so we can help, you know, point people in the right direction. Like if propagation's better on 40 than 20, maybe they can slip uh, the callers at the right frequency at the right time to, to get into the station. The idea is to just, rather than pull up stakes and wrap up the show, would be that uh, the fans that wanted to contact the show over the years and just never had the chance, this is really a great opportunity to do that before we leave. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it should be a really great event, and I expect a huge turnout on it. So um, we will uh, go ahead. Speaking of turnout, I, I was thinking that we're going to have to expand our logbook because it's not going to handle the amount of check-ins that we're probably going to get. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. I hope that's true. So we will be streaming video from uh, our part when we're doing that. Um, so you can go to live.amateurlogic.tv. If you're watching the live stream right now from our taping this, it's the exact same URL. Uh, you can get to the live stream then. And uh, we might pick up some other things through the week um, as, as time permits and opportunities come up. And I uh, have some impromptu live sessions as well if we can. So um, be looking for those. And you can always uh, get more information on all of our social medias. You'll find links for all that stuff at the end of the show today. So, um, anything else you want to mention about the event, John? No, I think uh, I'm just very excited about it, and I, I just hope all of your viewers will give us a try. I think the it changes every day. We I update the information very frequently, and the place to go for that is uh, www.gsbarc.com. 
dot org slash LMS. And if they would go to that site, it will tell them everything they need to know about the event. Right. Absolutely. Um, I had a couple of quick questions for you too, just uh, while you're here. Sure. Um, Absolutely. Uh, so this is, uh, this, I guess you're about to wrap up the last uh, rec- taping of Last Man Standing. Is that right? Just one mm-hmm. show left? Uh, well, t- uh, tomorrow starts the first of the last three episodes. So we will be done in in three weeks. In fact, the last day of the special event is the 30th, which is the last day of shooting on Last Man Standing. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so any any plans for you for projects uh, after that? Yeah, you know, uh, I I think the next plan for me is a little bit of a break. Um, This has been a tough year for everybody because of COVID, obviously. So Mm -hmm. we've been producing a show and it's it's been a little bit less like a TV show and a little bit more like a hospital room on the stage. Um, So a bit stressful. And I think when I'm done, I have I've been offered a few things and I haven't taken anything because I think I just want a little time off. Um, Yeah, I can understand that. Um. The uh, the QSO cards that used to be on there, I think you called it the Wall of Fame or whatever, but mm-hmm. all the QSO cards that used to be behind Mike's desk, what's going to end up with those? Well, I have those, and um, we're going to try to find a suitable place for those. Um, at the very least, I'll cr- probably scan them and create a website and or donate them to someone who I think would probably really enjoy them um, and also keep them in the public eye. You know, it's uh, it is a bit of ham radio history, I guess, the the, the QSL Wall of Fame. You you know, you I think both of you guys and certainly George is on that wall uh, yeah, in good right. company with a lot of other, you know, really uh accomplished um hams. So it will live on in some form or another. The the sound stage where you guys are going to be, that's kind of a pretty famous place. Uh, I guess a lot of people don't really know uh, I saw from my segment when I came out there and visited with you, uh, but Seinfeld was in that sound stage. Uh, now Last Man Standing's in there, and uh, they've got some pretty big shoes to fill to uh, to follow those two and whoever goes in there next. Yeah, I think we were we actually outlasted Seinfeld. Um, it was probably a bit more popular show, but we've been on that stage for nine years, which is almost unheard of these days in television. Um, because things are moving to streaming and that model is very different than broadcast television is. But yeah, we were, we, we benefited from the good karma of uh, being on the Seinfeld stage. And, uh, at the moment now the street in front of that stage is called last man standing way. So, uh, we'll have to see what show comes on for a longer stretch than we've been there. And maybe they'll rename the street, but right now it's still the last man standing way. Uh, what was it before they renamed it to last man standing? You know, I, I think it was named, all the streets on that lot are named after famous CBS shows like uh, Gunsmoke Lane. And so it was, it was one of those things. I don't remember which specifically. But it is kind of funny. I know when I've, uh, people come, as you've come to the lot, and you get your GPS out, and it literally says, you know, make a left on Gunsmoke and a right on My Three Sons. <laughs> so, and yeah. then you wind up at our stage. Yeah, it was actually surreal to walk through there and see that my three sons' house, yeah. and all that stuff, and uh, and to see what was the lagoon on Gilligan's Island. Uh, I was like a Gilligan's Island fanatic when I was a kid. I used to race home from school to watch Gilligan's Island, and to see that was just a little small hole of water there. Yeah. It really, it's not even a hole of water anymore. Uh, that yeah. building's there, but um, that was kind of kind of neat to see that in person. So, 
that is the magic of television. You know, you put a plastic sheet, fill it with water, and put some fake trees behind it, and suddenly you've got the lagoon of Gilligan's Island. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's all I really had, I guess. I just wanted to kind of get some updates and uh, pass the word on to the viewers. Uh, anything that may have changed, and uh, anyway, just kind of get that going. And just you guys keep uh, stay tuned to the uh, Amateur Logic social media, and any changes we have, we'll post there as well. Great. And the website that John mentioned, and we'll put that on the lower third. Let's take a look at this. That's uh, a little promo on the net, and it'll give you a few more details about it. If you're a fan of Tim Allen's TV series, Last Man Standing, you'll have a final chance to contact the show's amateur radio club station before it goes QRT. This is KA0XTT73. The week-long KA6LMS radio special event starts on March 24th at 0000 UTC and runs through 2359 UTC on March 30th. This will be an all-mode, all-band event. CQ, CQ, CQ. This is KA6. KA6. LMS. Fans will have the opportunity to work the bonus one-by-one stations. K6L, K6M, K6S, W6L, W6M, and W6S. Stations from every call sign area will operate as KA6LMS-0 through KA6LMS-9 and KA6LMS-VE, providing nationwide and international coverage. The remote operators are a virtual who's who of ham celebrities, contesters, and podcasters. Many will live stream their operations. Check spotting sites like DX Summit for pop-up operations on any day and at any time during the event week. We expect the on-stage radios to be in operation from the studio in California on Saturday, March 27th at 1800 UTC using 20 meters and on Sunday at 2200 UTC using 40 meters. If you're a fan of digital modes, Saturday, March 27th is your day. At 1700 UTC, KA6LMS will be using D-Star on Reflector 12 Alpha, hosted by the PAPA repeater system. At 1900 UTC, the D-Star action moves to Reflector 30 Bravo, hosted by Georgia D-Star. At 2300 UTC, AmateurLogic.tv will host the KA6LMS Multimode QSO Party using All-Star, DMR, D-Star, NXDN, P25, Echo Link, Hamshack Hotline, Wires X, and Yesu System Fusion. For DMR users, in addition to the multi-mode QSO party hosted by AmateurLogic.tv on the evening of March 27th, you'll have six more opportunities to use that mode. DMR specialist Michael, AF6FB will operate as KA6LMS on March 25th at 1800 hours and 2100 hours UTC. On March 27th at 1600 hours UTC, on March 28th at 2100 hours UTC, and on March 30th at 1800 hours and 2100 hours UTC. Please check the event webpage for talk group information. KA6 LMS QSL cards will be available for stations who contact the stage directly or through relay stations. Special event certificates, including clean sweep endorsements, will be available via download. The KA6 LMS radio event is sponsored by the Great South Bay Amateur Radio Club's 12 Days of Christmas team and K2 Heroes teams. 
in association with AmateurLogic.tv, the Papa Repeater System, and Georgia D-Star. And of course, Last Man Standing and KA6LMS have always been powered by ICOM. For more information, go to www.gsbarc.org slash LMS. Well, John, we want to thank you so much, not only for, um, you know, everything you do with the show there, but for including Amateur Logic in your plans on the net here. We're really looking forward to that and pulling out the multiple modes there and... uh, Allowing some people who might not otherwise be able to make a contact get in on whatever mode they'd like. Exactly. Well, thank you. First of all, I'm a big fan of this show, and I've been watching it for many years, so I I couldn't be more pleased to have you guys become a part of this event because I think it's just all one big ham radio family. It isn't really about any particular thing. It's not really about Last Man Standing or any of the podcasters, but anytime we can create a destination for hams to come to and use their radios, especially techs and, and people that are just coming up in the in the hobby, it's it's just a good thing. So thank you guys. Oh. Yeah, I did think of one other question. I'm just kind of curious, and sure. I may know the answer, but uh, the Last Man Standing uh, Radio Club, I'm wearing the shirt. Um, what's is there any chance that that'll live on a little bit past the the show ending? I think you're yeah, the owner of the call sign, right? I am, and I think that it will. I think because there are, as you guys know, there's there's about 35 club members to this, and uh, we're all in varying degrees of activity. But there'll be there'll be times when I think we would want to come back on the air together as a club. There'll be anniversaries of, of specific events, like maybe when we release uh, the new season of syndication. So right now, all the first eight seasons are in syndication, but you know, soon in a few months, we'll be releasing the ninth season which we're just about to complete on the 30th so there'll be some milestones that might uh, warrant you know uh, maybe not a full week long special event but maybe you know an evening of operation so uh, the, mm-hmm. the license will still be good and the club will still be in existence and hopefully we'll celebrate it that way yeah, that sounds great uh, hope you'll uh, rem- remember us going forward and hope this isn't the last time we have you on the show maybe you can drop by and visit with us sometime in the future again Sure. Well, I'm always I'm always ready to come on your show. Just let me know. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully. And, uh, we'll, hopefully, maybe we'll catch you on the uh, soundcheck net sometimes down the road as you, well. You will. I've got. Um, I think I've got about four ways to get in now. I can't be one of the people that do eight ways, but I can probably get in uh, <laughs> three or four now. Yeah. I think six. I think six so far may be the uh, the most that we've had. Uh, yeah. But I'm looking for someone to break that here pretty soon. <laughs> Yeah, I got six, and that's all I could get. I'd have to buy another radio to to get one more mode, and I'm not ready to do that today. But, uh, well, and, and speaking of the club there, I guess really a lot of those club members got introduced to amateur radio right there on the set. Mm-hmm. So Yes, a lot. some of the club members actually took their VE exams on the set, which is a pretty cool place to take your, your exams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mike, you had something you wanted to mention, too, didn't you? I did. And uh, there's a little bit of a story to it because I, I made the, um, the, uh, the cutoff just in time. It was going to press that same day, and I managed to get a hold of Alan, the editor of the Canadian Amateur uh, magazine. 
And um, I told him about it, and um, he said, send me the copy. So I sent him the copy, and you can find it on uh, this uh, current issue of TCA Magazine, which is the March-April edition, on page 42. Awesome. Great. That's great. That's why so we, we are now an international event, so that's the most important part. <laughs> so, I, And I know you don't know all the, the places, but... Do you have any ideas for those who might like to check out Last Man Standing that, for whatever reason, did not check it out during the first run, but just, or maybe want to watch the reruns? Any ideas how they would find out who in their area might might be running the well, well, I mean, it's I, I think it's almost everywhere. I, in, uh, just as an example, in Los Angeles, it's on at least four different stations and. Um, sometimes simultaneously. So I think it's it's in every market in the country. Um, I, I don't have a list or anything of like what, you know, what stations carry it. And it's also in international syndication. So a lot of countries now see it. Um, it also streams on Disney Plus. So anybody that has Disney Plus can just oh, pick oh. up any episode they want streaming. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen it on CMT quite frequently as well. Yeah. Well, WGN has its CMT, but a lot of local stations um, carry it. Wow, that's great. Well, John, it's really good to see you again, and hope we can catch up soon and and maybe at a ham fest before too terribly long. I think we're making the corner now, so things will oh yeah should be getting better soon. So yeah, uh, it'll it'll be Dayton either well maybe not this year, but it'll be Dayton by the next year. That's for sure. I think so. Uh, yeah. Uh, and we're looking at Huntsville down here, you know. That's, that could still happen, you know. They, they haven't canceled yeah. it, so. That yeah, that's in August, so, yeah, that could likely happen. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah, things are moving in the right direction. Well, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah. And, uh, well. Thank you, guys. Come back again. I'm, I'm standing by. <laughs> yeah. thank, thanks, John. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, John. guys. Good to see you all. Yeah. Two, three. And we'll be right back. Uh, don't go away, actually. I've got, um, well, this this came from an email from one of our viewers. I, I thought it was such a, a cool trick. I had to try it out for myself. You might want to try this out yourself. Uh, I'm sure email probably will because it doesn't cost anything. If you've ever spent any time shortwave listening, then you know much of what you're going to hear is foreign language broadcast. Have you ever asked yourself, What the heck are they saying? Well, now you're in luck. I received an email back in November from David D's NT4G. He said, George, I have a tip to share for your shortwave listeners, and it makes SWLing a real treat. Just download the Microsoft Translator. Use your USB connection from your radio you use for digital and decode and translate language sections from the drop-downs and read in real time your shortwave broadcast. I'm happy to report that this worked out just fine for me. Essentially, you take whatever shortwave receiver you're using and feed its output into the input of your computer so that Microsoft Translator can pick it up. Once you've loaded the program, just choose the language you want to convert from and to, click Voice, and click the Listen button. 
On the left-hand side is the original language. On the right-hand side is a translation. And you'll notice as it begins translating that sometimes it has to scramble the sentences around and think about things a little bit. Overall, this seems to make a readable sentence just about every time. Now, I can't guarantee that everything that it's going to tell you there is correct. You know, it would only take one word to maybe even reverse the meaning of what was actually being said. I don't speak Japanese, so I can't say for sure, but it looks like for the most part, what it's saying here makes sense. There's a limited number of characters that it can store at one time, so keep that in mind. You can read the text in real time as it's decoded. Once a buffer is full, the translator will automatically stop. Or you can click the Listen button again to stop the translation. Then you'll have a Listen choice displayed on the right-hand side. Choose that to have translator read the translation back to you. It is said that it is one standard, but at least the number of cases that took more than more than 10 minutes has increased. Since it takes a certain amount of time to examine driving and prepare for accepting, it is said that it is necessary to consult a doctor as soon as possible. The study group is very easy. It is anger UG adjustment of the University School of Medicine. Thanks, David, for a really neat tip. I'm sure a lot of our viewers are going to find this quite interesting and useful when shortwave listening. Danke, David, für eine wirklich nette Spitze. That's easy for you to say. Guten yeah. Tag. <laughs> ah, wow, that was... I don't know. I didn't expect it was going to work that well. It, it really worked better than I thought it would. Yeah, that's a pretty cool idea. I just never really crossed my mind to try that. Me neither. We're one step away from the universal uh, translator like they have on Star Trek. You need a babble fish. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll be on your phone, I'm sure, before long. No Probably. Yeah, and you'll just plug your phone in your ear. Well, actually, I guess you'll just use Bluetooth. But, uh, yeah. Very, very cool, inexpensive, so it, it hits all the right buttons for some folks. I'm pretty sure Emil knows about a babble fish. I do know about the babble fish. 42. Yeah. <laughs> That's the answer to everything. <laughs> including the last man standing page in, the, in this issue of uh, the Canadian Amateur Magazine. Nice. That proves it. I got a post that was on Facebook from Irv Johnson. Um, anyway, it's, uh, it says, get your free Raspberry Pi Pico. If you purchase a copy of Hackspace magazine, there's one on the cover of the February issue. He snagged one at Barnes & Noble, and there were three copies left. And uh, I asked him if, if it was in there, if you had to send it off, but it literally was stuck to the front cover of the magazine. So um, you get the magazine, you get a free uh Pie Pico, um, pretty good deal. And uh, actually, I, I looked at that magazine, uh, looked a little bit on online about it. It looks pretty interesting. I'm actually thinking about subscribing to it. Uh, right up our alley, a lot of the stuff we'd like to tinker around with. Yeah, I've so, you know, I've seen I, it. I was always envious of those UK magazines because um, they've always had freebies uh, either taped or stuck to the front cover of their magazines and. 
you know, you'd come back to uh, Canada and you'd find the same magazine, but no freebie. Yeah. I think the last free thing I got in a magazine, you ripped it out and you put it on your turntable and you play it. That's how long it's been since. Oh, wow. Oh, it's been a yeah. while. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, it wasn't on here, but Irv's uh, call sign is KD5REQ. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My neighbor across the lake. Hello, Irv. I I have seen a few issues of that magazine, and, and yeah, it is good. It's yeah, it's I think really I'm gonna good. subscribe to it. It, look, it looks really interesting. And Tommy, was it last month you did the segment on the Pico? Yes. Okay. Well, I, I you know I finally got mine hooked no. up. Did I? Was it yeah. last month or the month before? I think it was last, last month. month. I don't know. They all run together. In a previous episode. Tommy did a segment on the Pico Pie. I got mine hooked up, and I've played with it some and uh, uploaded some C code to it. You know, that's what I was wanting to do with it is C code. I, I'm not a Python guy. Not, I mean, I'm sure I could probably do it, but I'm trying to conserve that memory space um, for for whatever. And I kind of know some C, so... Well, I remember it wasn't all that long ago. You used to tell me you weren't a C guy either. Well, I wasn't, but, you know, uh, I am now. <laughs> so if you can see, change. see where I'm coming from. But, you know, there's examples out there for, uh, you know, for that as well as Python. Maybe some other languages. If not, they're coming, yeah. I believe. I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. So for a $4 microcontroller, yeah, you know, it, it's worth getting if you want to tinker with it. I don't think it's as easy as an Arduino, but, yeah, you know, I think, it's different. I think it is as easy as an Arduino. It's just not as familiar to you as an Arduino. If you were starting from scratch, you probably wouldn't, you wouldn't say that. Yeah, but I'm just starting from C. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more Arduino examples on the web, you know. So if if you're going to download some code and hack it into your own devices, which is what I often do, tell us what this is, Emil, and, and where you learned about it. Oh, yeah. So we got an email from our friends across the pond in England, uh, G0MEJ. And his other kind of call sign most might know from the uh, Nets is uh, KG0PL, Laird Nigel P. Lawrence of Lockerbur, and the Lady Julia 2E0JBP of Lockerbur, who they're currently in uh, Barrow in Furnace, England. And they sent us a video that's on YouTube about the British plug. So he, he's given up, the video in general just gives a plug for the plug. And I learned, I mean, I, at first I looked at it and thought, okay, what is this? And then, I, you know, I, I watched it and th- learned a few things about their engineering and the design behind it. And they're really, really, really proud of that plug. One, one of the things they pointed out, though, uh, and made uh, light of was the, the fact that uh, if you, it tends to fall on the floor uh, with the prongs facing upwards. So, so if you step on it, you might get the... Uh, United States Lego uh, experience. So, 
That's uh, that's what Nigel sent us. Toodles to them. Take it a watch because it's a pretty uh, pretty neat video. I didn't had no idea there was that much design behind what's in that plug there. So I don't want to give it all away. So give it a look. And thanks, Nigel and the Lady Julia. Yeah, I have not seen the video. I, I guess I need to go catch up and watch it. Wonder how many of them actually have a fuse inside the plug there. That's, that's well, that's one of the things that's in the video on how they used to basically serial wire the entire house. And the fuse would blow any one place. It would shut off the rest of the place during the war. So there's there's plenty of little things in there that you can pick up and learn from uh, what what he covered in there. Plus the length of those wires uh, made it so that the hot and commons cannot hit the ground if you happen to yank the wires out because of the lengths of them. So there's lots of little tidbits in there. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. Well, we're going to be right back because we've still got more to go tonight. For years, hams have relied on the world's most popular antenna analyzer, the MFJ259B. That compact battery-powered RF impedance analyzer combined four basic circuits, a 1.8 to 170 megahertz variable frequency oscillator, a frequency counter, a 50-ohm RF bridge, and an 8-bit microcontroller. Now the MFJ259 has been updated to the new MFJ259C. All the same great functions present in the 259B with an expanded frequency range. The MFJ259C covers all frequencies from 530 kHz to 230 MHz, allowing measurements all the way from the AM broadcast band through the 220 MHz amateur band. Make a wide variety of useful antenna impedance measurements, including coaxial cable loss and distance to an open or short. Primarily designed for analyzing 50-ohm antenna and transmission line systems, the MFJ259C also measures RF impedances between a few ohms and several hundred ohms. It also functions as a signal source and a frequency counter. The MFJ259C gives you a complete picture of your antenna's performance. Read antenna SWR and complex impedance, determine velocity factor, coaxial cable loss in dB, length of coax, and distance to a shorter opening feet. Read SWR. SWR, return loss, and reflection coefficient at any frequency simultaneously at a single glance. You can even read inductance and microhenries and capacitance and picofarads at RF frequencies. The large, easy-to-read two-line LCD screen and side-by-side meters clearly display all the information you need. While a lot of new antenna analyzers have appeared in the market recently, none give you the flexibility and wide assortment of RF measurement capabilities the MFJ259C does. And for UHF, the MFJ269C adds 415 to 470 megahertz coverage with a characteristic impedance input of 0 to 600 ohms and a 12-bit A to D converter. But wait, there's more. Now the new MFJ259D and 269D give you coverage down to 100 kilohertz plus the 2200 meter band. When it comes to wideband antenna analyzers, no one's got you covered like MFJ. Visit MFJEnterprises.com today. And I don't know what you've covered this time around. You're just going to have to set this one up, and then we'll watch it. Well, it's it's well, well as you know, I was slacker of the month last month, so I, uh, I gave a little bit of a teaser uh, in the first uh, segment that I did, um, and that was on the uh, Satsagen uh, application. And... Um, just as things were getting good, that was the end of the segment. So uh, hopefully this will uh, interest people, and there's a little surprise towards the end. So, 
you want to watch this. Cool. Hi everyone, Mike V3MIC here. Last time we took a look at the Atom Pluto SDR and a short tutorial on installing Satsagen. You may recall that Satsagen is a software app that when used with the Atom Pluto SDR is a fully functional spectrum analyzer. I also mentioned that this project is relatively new and it has been under development by Alberto IU1KVL. We need to ensure that our hardware device is selected. Check to ensure that your device appears in the SDR device drop-down list. If it doesn't, you'll need to check that the USB driver for your device is installed and connected properly. Okay, here we go. Let's uh, power up. Did you see that? There was a very quick initialization screen that appeared there, but you can uh, view it if you hit the trace button. Uh, you can see all of the initialization that takes place when it fires up your device. Um, I think I mentioned in the previous uh, segment that the Pluto out of the box only goes up to 3 gigahertz. Um, but the moment you plug it in um, to Satsagen, it will detect the, uh, the, the limited range and it will actually uh, modify the firmware so that the device is capable of, of um, going up to 6 gigahertz. You can see this here. Um, you know, it talks about the 809361 uh, and it's fooling it into thinking it's a 9364. So once that's done, it's done. I can take this device, plug it in anywhere, even without an application, uh, and the frequency range is extended permanently, unless, unless for some reason I decide to, to uh, readjust it through firmware again. But anyway, uh, we can go ahead and close that. And the first thing we want to do, just briefly, um, you can see uh, my mouse over uh, it, it, when I'm when I'm close. It it turns on these little functions here. The one on the left is actually uh, copy to clipboard. The one in the middle, if you have a printer connected, you can send your uh, your display directly to a printer. Or uh, lastly, on the right, there's a little icon of a diskette for those of us, uh, of us old enough to remember what a diskette looks like. It's actually uh, saved to a file. So you can save to a file as well. And if I do the same thing down below here, um, this is actually uh, your zoom in. It's a little magnifying glass with a plus sign, little magnifying glass with a, a minus sign. So zoom, zoom in, zoom out, and this will uh, bring it back to the, uh, to the regular range. Uh, I also have a, a, a zoom button here, and I'll show you when I turn on the spectrum analyzer. Uh, I can I can actually zoom in, and right now it's on the Y zoom. If I click it, it's on the X zoom. So if I want to spread out the frequency or zoom in on the frequency, rather, uh, I can do that here. Um, and if I want to reset everything back to normal, I just click the magnifying glass with a little X through it. And up here on the spectrum analyzer section, um, something to be aware of too. These are actually clickable. And you can switch from increments in megahertz to increments in kilohertz. 
And depending on which way you rotate this little knob, uh, it'll increment or de decrement in either kilohertz or megahertz. Also, you can direct entry on the display. Um, this span is your, your frequency span. You can see I've got a one megahertz span that I'm viewing right now. If I want to make this say two, I can also do a direct entry on the screen just by pushing two, pressing enter, and I now have a two megahertz span on the screen. Um, there's a few settings I'm not going to get into, uh, like the RX gain and the, um, the other control up here. Um, so we'll save that for another segment. Um, down below here, uh, because the Pluto is also capable of transmitting, um, I also have a frequency generator capability. Uh, just by turning this on, you can see I've got a center frequency of 446 megahertz, same as what we're displaying up here. And uh, you can see there's my, uh, my signal right there. I'm currently set for FM narrow. I could set it to FM wide, and you can see a change there. Um, and also it supports uh, DC, CW, and AM. Um, there's some other features down here that I won't get into, uh, and that has to do with harmonics. Um, and if you want to experiment even further, there's another panel uh, which has to do with tracking, um, peak hold, threshold levels, and so forth, and uh, adjustable in units of hertz, kilohertz, and megahertz uh, just by uh, selecting it from the drop-down list. Um, anyway, we're not going to worry, worry about those right now, so let's get those out of our way. Um, and also, you'll see at the, at the bottom of the, of the toolbar here, there wasn't enough room for all of the buttons, but if you click the next, you'll see additional buttons uh, that appear when you click next. Um, and you can hit the, uh, the previous to get you back. Um, transmit power. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, your transmit power, even though it doesn't say next to the, uh, to the legend here, it doesn't say uh, what, the, uh, what the increments are. But I can tell you that it's in uh, dB, dBm to be exact. And by rotating the, the knob counterclockwise, I'm going to reduce the power. And you can see that I'm into the negatives. Um, incidentally, uh, uh, plus 10 dBm is, is the same as 10 milliwatts. Um, so that's the frequency generator. There's a section here in the middle, which is a little more advanced. It has spectrum analyzer with tracking generator. If I turn that on, because I'm set for... Uh, you can see my lower limit of 50 megahertz. My upper limit is 500. You can see it uh, sweeping across the band here. Um, uh, useful things for that would be, um, uh, you know, a spectrum analyzer with a tracking generator. You can tune cavity filters. If you had a uh, directional coupler, you could measure SDR. Uh, but those are the more advanced features, and um, and we're not going to get into that uh, for this segment. So. Anyway, uh, what else can I show you right now? Um, oh, I'm saving the best surprise for last. So I'm going to take a brief pause here. Okay, quick pause is over. What I had to do during the pause is I had to install the latest version of SatisGen. And it's version point five zero one two, And that's the latest as of today. And you're going to notice something very interesting when I go into the uh, settings. I'm just going to move 
this up here, um, you'll notice that there's a drop-down list for the RX-TX device, whereas before um, there wasn't one, and the only thing that it was usable with was the Atom Pluto. But watch this. If I click the down button, I have all these new devices that Satsagen supports. So um, I don't have an R Hack RF1, but I do have an RTL SDR. So I'm going to select that. And again, if if your device drivers are all already installed, you'll you'll see uh, information populate in this box here. If it's blank, then you'll have to go and and troubleshoot and figure out either your driver's not loaded or the device isn't connected properly. So. Uh, let's sele leave it selected on RTL SDR and we'll click OK. Let's power up. And first thing to notice, I can't click the generator button or the spectrum analyzer with tracking. And the reason for that is because RTL SDR devices are receive only. So my only option is clicking on the spectrum analyzer. So I'm set for 446 megahertz right now. I happen to have my HT handy. I'm going to turn it on. And I also have the frequency set for 446.000. And I'm going to do a, a quick transmit. VE3MIC. Okay. Uh, another interesting thing. Uh, about about this version is if I turn on the panels button there's something new here there is now a waterfall display and if I turn that on uh, you're gonna see a waterfall display appear below the spectrum analyzer screen and if I transmit V3 MIC testing one two three four five five four three two one uh, let's see let me just give a little bit of I'm gonna zoom out just a little bit let me get on the X zoom here widen that out VE 3 MIC testing okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll zoom out just a little whoops that's too much a little bit more VE 3 MIC testing uh, isn't that neat Anyway, I thought I uh, thought you folks would be interested in in knowing that the latest version of Satsagen supports RTL SDR dongles. So that's the surprise for tonight. Uh, you can go ahead. I'm posting it in the show notes. Uh, download uh, Satsagen and uh, plug your little uh, twenty dollar uh, RTL SDR dongle in and uh, have some fun. That's all for now. Seven three from VE three MIC. Satogen is still in its early stages of development, but uh, it seems to be developing quite rapidly. Uh, and um, while it might be a little early to rely on Satogen as a certification device, um, you know, many will still find it useful in the ham shack. And so uh, with that, I guess uh, we should thank Alberto IUV or IU1 KVL for uh, creating and developing uh, this very useful uh, software application. And uh, there isn't any current documentation yet, but if you join the groups.io uh, group, uh, Satsagen, uh, you can get all kinds of information. And I've actually posted a few myself. And um, Alberto actually has responded to me, you know, the same very day. Uh, so that's your best bet. 
if you have any issues, you can just post them there in Groups.io. And uh, yeah, uh, I look forward to the next uh, the next version. I know somebody was asking about the SDR Play, and uh, I think the only the, the only thing uh, why it's not supported is I don't think that uh, Alberto has one on hand yet. Uh, so he's he's not able to de- develop for it. So anyway, I, I suspect that the SDR play will come sometime down the road. Okay. Uh, you know what I like about it? I, I liked about it was the uh, interface, how they made it look like a standard spectrum analyzer, right? You know, it had that look to it. Mm-hmm. Yes. I wonder if there was a specific model of uh, a spectrum analyzer that he modeled the uh, the panel off of. I don't know. I haven't run across any that have check boxes or drop down list on them yet. But um, you know, that, that's that's kind of hard to do in uh, actual hardware. That would be good to see. Yeah. Well, Mike, we had a few photos tonight. Uh, I had some t- tower photos that we're going to look at here in a minute. But you've got some tower photos too. I thought this was. Kind of interesting the way that uh, that this looked. I was trying to determine what the failure was. Uh, let's take a look at some of these photos here. First, what is this, Mike? That is a hundred foot uh, self uh, self supporting tower. Um, I I don't know what make it is, and I I wouldn't say it even if I knew, but. Uh, that is the repeater site for VE3 SMR and VA3 triple uh, B. Um, so uh, VE3 SMR is on six meters, and uh, cousin Jerry uh, VE3 EXT, who I believe is watching tonight, um, he he kind of looks after that one. And uh, there's a, a club that looks after the two meter uh, repeater VA3 triple B. I'm not sure. It's obviously not due to ice failure. Um, from what I gather from speaking with uh, Cousin Jerry, uh, apparently there's going to be uh, a, a party going out on Sunday to have a look to see what, you know, in more depth what, what uh, caused the failure. Um, but it's certainly not due, due to ice buildup. Uh, yeah, there's obviously no ice. Although he did mention that the winds were very high that day. So... Uh, he's thinking either metal fatigue, metal fatigue or or perhaps something like that or or perhaps there was some water that got in froze and and split split one of the pipes i don't know but um uh we've also got uh, don uh, ve3 wfd who's also involved with that and he was uh he sent me a bunch of those pictures as well what is it now mike a 50 foot self supporting tower i think it's a 100 foot tilt over tower <laughs> the trouble is it's tilt over at the 50 foot mark <laughs> i was looking at it and the part that had fallen over it looked like there were no flanges up there so it must have broke off right above the flanges that would be my guess and i guess some of the speculation is if water got in there froze it or rotted out uh where the where it would be welded to the uh to the plate um but they won't have a better idea until they have uh, a look at it when they go out there on Sunday. But it looks like a pretty nice tower. Um, from what I understand, uh, talking with Jerry, he, he tells me the diameter of, the, of each of the three legs is like a two-inch uh, OD diameter. 
Yeah. Um, wow. So Terry, Terry, two e zero IPK says it's an inverted V tower. <laughs> that, yeah. that is true. Yeah. <laughs> and that's about fifty feet on either side. So, yeah, that that could very well be uh, eighty meters now. Uh, yeah, just looking where the break is, you'll see the flanges are over on the part of the tower that's still completely vertical. But the piece that's broke over, there, there's not a flange there on that. So it looks like it, I don't know, broke at the weld or exactly what happened there. But that's pretty strange. We think definitely wind had a contributing factor for sure. And it was probably weak at that joint, and uh, with that extra load from the wind loading, it probably just took it down. If I was a betting man, I would say probably metal fatigue or the we- the weld failed. Um, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll have to give you the details uh, as they come in. Yeah. Okay, I've got some tower photos here to to look at as well. We'll start out. By just saying, you know, recently, was it last episode? Right around that time, I think. We had ice storms here. Like, for a whole week, practically, it was really cold and um, a lot of ice here. Really, And a little snow, too. But, you know, down south, occasionally, we'll get a... A warm front coming off the Gulf, and it gets up above the cold front that's down here on the ground. And when that happens, it falls as rain up above, and it hits the cold atmosphere down lower, and then it falls as ice instead of falling as snow. And when that happens, it coats everything around. You know, we usually have a lot of power failures, a lot of uh, tree limbs break. And another thing that happens is we get ice on our towers. Sometimes the towers come down because of that. I've I've seen that happen before. I saw a thousand foot tower one time that normally would be vertical and it was looking just, you know, crooked like that. And I so I called the engineer for him. I said, Look, you know, I think your tower's gonna come down over there. And later that afternoon it did. So I it was I don't, not really sure what happened with that one, but anyway, so we had ice on the towers here. What also happens, and you know, we don't get it so much on HF here. You might get it on some of your VHF and UHF antennas. If you get ice built up on them, it'll raise your reflected power. And if you're running, you know, several kilowatts or or well you really don't have to be running that much but it'll it'll build up so that your transmitter will not stay on unless you uh, reload into it and drop your power way down and you might get the transmitter to stay on i know uh, one station here in town not one of mine but another one he couldn't get the transmitter to stay on no matter what he did. The ice buildup was so bad. And I've got some photos here that our friend uh, Stan uh, K5JNT took. It's a tower site that I actually have some antennas on as well. The first thing we're going to look at is uh, 
Well, that's actually two tower sites. This is a Shively FM antenna. Usually there are several of these mounted on the tower, one above the other. That's a circular polarized antenna. It's probably not the best when it comes to ice. Those things will pretty much shut down to where you can't use them at all. Uh, this tower right here is one that, uh, actually, I have a Jack FM on that tower. You might notice there's four little knobs near the top sticking off the side of the tower there. Let's look in a little bit closer at that. And those are four radomes there <laughs> that have those Shively antennas inside of them. And you can see the icicles on the side. That station could not have stayed on if it didn't have those fiberglass radomes covering those antenna bays. Now, that kept the ice off, so the reflective power didn't get as bad. But you can see ice on the tower and on the guy lines there as well. Now, this tower, I'm not sure of the height of it. It's um, 400 feet, I think. Not super tall. Because it had radomes, it was able to stay on the air. Now, just saying, most of us down south here, we don't have radomes on our antennas. This was kind of an exception here. Mm. Let's look at another one. Now, this is a thousand-foot tower. <laughs> now, you know, the top of that is supposed to be orange, the top stripe. But it's looking here like the top half of the tower is white. You can even see the ice build up on the guy wires there. This ended up being pretty major uh, event as as far as um, antenna towers go, the taller ones. You can see this was plainly affected more than that other tower was with the ice. Let's look on in a little closer. <laughs> Is that one of your stations? Yeah, I have, uh, I got three sets of antennas on there. These are my low-power stations. Now, this antenna right here is a circular polarized Bext brand antenna. It's lower power. It is broadbanded, so it'll work pretty much across the entire FM band. And I've got three pairs, in other words, two of these antenna bays right here stacked at three different locations on the tower. One of them is combined. I have three different signals that run into it. Another one is for another station, and the other one is a backup antenna. Wonder what would happen with these if they took on a little ice. Now, let me just say, that's pretty lightweight stuff there. That's a much cheaper antenna than what we use typically for, for full-power stations. You can see that looks a little bit different than, than the actual photo. Those two little arrows sticking out the side there, that's the FM antenna. And I'm not sure right off if that section of the tower was orange or white. I don't remember. But if you look right below the antenna, hmm, there's something a little diagonal there. Yep. If you look at that closer, that looks kind of like a uh, VHF antenna, doesn't it? Like one of those decibel products antennas that, that we use a lot on repeaters. That thing took a hit, too. Now, because of the angle, it's not right there at the FM. It's a little lower on the tower. Not a lot, but a little bit lower. Somebody's got some problems there. <laughs> 
Which which repeater is that? I, it's not a repeater. It's uh, it's probably a two way system for I don't know the okay. county or or someone, but some business or something. That tower has a, a good many antennas on it. There's the other one. This one is up higher. This one's at 800 feet. <laughs> Look at the eyes wow. on that thing, man. I can't believe that it's stayed on and worked and is still working. Are you sure those aren't refrigeration coils? <laughs> I, yeah. And look at the tower. Wow, that thing's like a almost a solid wall of ice, it looks like, from that angle. You should pay a mill, like, like that show uh, Deadliest Catch. Uh, you, when they when the ships get iced up, they get a big hammer and start wailing on the um, on the on the steel. Yeah, you could get uh, a mill with a big hammer at the base of the tower and smack uh, the tower legs to to break off some of that ice. Yeah, you might need more than that amateur logic cap, Emil. Yeah, I was going to say I'm not standing at the bottom of anything like that with a hammer. And that's what I was going to say. When something like this happens. If you got to get out there, you need to do it while it's still frozen. Don't wait till it starts melting. It can be pretty bad. As a matter of fact, this particular one, uh, ice fell off that tower and uh, tore up a satellite dish for another station, as well as punched uh, a number of holes in the roof. So, yeah, it, it can be bad. Now, there's more stuff. This is... Yeah. An, ERI antenna, this is a circular polarized FM antenna, and usually you have a number of bays of that stacked up there to increase the gain. Uh, this, in my opinion, is a, the best FM antenna. Generally, those are cut a little bit, let me think about it, present a little bit above. I think that's it. And when I starts building up on it, it detunes the antenna in the direction of the desired frequency. So it actually gets tuned a little bit better. Uh, but we got so much ice on these this time around that it affected these antennas a lot. I, I saw a lot of reflected power uh, coming back from those. Uh, Stan actually had one of these. It's a 12 bay on that same tower we were just looking at. You know what's amazing to me is the um, you can really see how the altitudes right change. You know some some of those higher altitudes for the towers. It's good for uh, tropospheric ducting maybe, but not so much for towers. Yes. Yeah. You see the frost line going up. Yeah. This is the top of the tower we've been looking at. That's that twelve bay antenna off the side. You can see the ice on the guy wires, and you can see that guy wire on the right-hand side. Part of that ice has already started falling off of there. There you go. Wow. Look at that. Ah. Uh, man, and you can see right kind of near the bottom of it, just a little to the left of those ERI bays, you can see mine at, at 800 feet. That's pretty severe ice. I've never seen photos this close up before, uh, you know, on a thousand foot tower. So I did not know how much ice was getting on there, but now you can see. The other station that I said could not stay on the air, it was at a different location. The antennas were mounted on a pole on top of the tower. The photo I saw of it was not as high a resolution, but it just looked like 
a solid piece of ice just straight up and down. You couldn't see anything protruding out the sides for the antenna bays. That's what will happen uh, at 1,000 feet in the air in an ice storm. You know, there are towers that are 2,000 feet, and that's as tall as they get here. Um, it's pretty bad up there, too. But you don't want to be hanging around those things when that ice gets built up on there and when it starts falling because it can be really big and not a good place to be hanging out. All right, so that's our uh, tower stories for tonight. We're going to be back in just a moment, though, because we've still got more to go. Tommy's got a segment for us, so don't go away. The Great Outdoors is calling. Get outside and under the stars with one of ICOM's ultimate SDR transceivers. Stay connected while off the grid. The IC705 is a perfect transceiver for hams who want to enjoy both the great indoors and outdoors. It's the perfect QRP companion. This transceiver has features and functions at the tips of your fingers in a portable package covering HF, 6 meters, 2 meters, 70 centimeters, and the weight is just under 2 pounds. 4.3-inch color touchscreen with live band scope and waterfall. 5 watts with BP272 battery or 10 watts with 13.8 volts DC input. Create your own band opening with the IC9700. This transceiver brings direct sampling to the VHF-UHF weak signal world. This all-mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features that are sure to keep you busy. 4.3-inch color touchscreen with real-time high-speed spectrum scope and waterfall display. Smooth satellite operation with 99 satellite channels. And it supports dual-watch operation and full-duplex operation in satellite mode. Visually sees the VHF-UHF world with ICOM's IC9700. Heard it, worked it, logged it. ICOM's IC7300 is a high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. This innovative HF transceiver digitizes RF before various receiver stages to reduce the generated inherent noise in different IF stages. ICOM's IC7300 is a radio that changes the way entry-level HF is designed. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on all the great ICOM radios. And I noticed in the chat room there, there were some comments about ice on towers. Marty is saying that um, they had a freestanding, wow, freestanding? 1,041-foot tower. That's, that's pretty tall for freestanding. For a local TV station, they just bought up all the property for a few blocks because they got tired of fixing large holes in the house roofs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a number of other eye stories in there. And let's see, it was Mark KA9SZX said 30 years ago when he was foolish, he had a transmitter on top of a building go off the air due to eyes. And he got it on to about 45% power by going out on the roof and banging on the pipe in the bottom antenna bay as he couldn't climb the uh, pipe with about two inches of ice on it. Yeah, that is uh, one way to do it, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. 
So, wow. And I've heard of, you know, people going up on towers and banging on them with a two-by-four to knock the ice off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not me either. Anyway, yeah, tells from the transmitter, or uh, Ralph said, the tower. There you go. All right, Tommy, what are you talking yeah. about tonight? Well, you know, I got one of those MFJ power strips a while back, and it's been sitting in the box because I've been too lazy to hook it up. Well, when I got the 9700 over here to, to play with for a while, I needed a way to plug it up, so I finally busted it out. And hooked it up, and I'm kind of glad I did. It's been really handy. Should have done it a long time ago. Well, I haven't done a review in a while. I've got something today I'm going to try to set up here at my shack. I've got several radios over there, and I've got just the right amount of power supplies for them. I've got an Icon 9700 here now that I want to play with for a little while. I need a place to hook it up, but I don't want to disconnect my other things. Well, I've got this MFJ power strip here it's a mfj 1126 and it should solve my problems it's a fused power distribution strip it takes up to 40 amps max and then each individual outlet is fused they it's got anderson power poles built onto the board this one came with a 25 a 10 a 5 a 10, 5, 5, and, two, and then two ones. I've got an Icom 5100 that I want to hook up to one of them. And I've also got the 9700 here for a little while that I want to play with that I want to hook up to another one. Well, the, the 10 amps might be a little bit borderline for that. The box with the distribution strip came with some Anderson power poles and some extra fuses. I took the 5 out and I put the other 25 because I think 10 is going to probably blow the fuse. Not to mention my power cables are fused already. So I'm not too worried about that. I just don't want to exceed the maximum of 40 amps. And that's going to be impossible because I'm feeding it with a 20 amp power supply. So that that's okay as long as we don't exceed the maximum for the rating of your power supply. Just uh, that I won't be transmitting with both of the radios at one time, but I could listen to both of them with no problem whatsoever you're going to need to be cognizant of what you've got hooked up to it about how much current it draws and what you can use each time i'm going to go ahead and put some anderson power poles on this brand new cable that came with the 9700 incidentally i have been using anderson power poles i built this little harness here that hooks up to my power supply and then i'll just plug whatever rig i want in here but i want to keep both of my rigs connected this time so this, this should solve my problem. This side is always on when you turn the power supply on, but this side is switched. So you could turn these off if you want. This side can take up to 20 amps total. And this side can take up to the 40 amps total. Let's go ahead and put the power poles on. I'm going to need one red and one black insulator. And then two of the terminal connectors themselves. So let's go ahead and do that. We'll put. I went ahead and pulled the ends of the insulation off of these cables, and this should fit right on this piece of wire with no problem. And if you've used these crimpers before, they're they're very nice. I bought these at uh, Huntsville, so they go in like so. 
So slip the wire into the right one and crimp it down until it releases. You have to, it's a ratcheting mechanism and you have to put a certain amount of pressure on it for it to connect. So that one's done and that was pretty easy. Let's go ahead and do the other. Just one small strand of wire and I'll snip that that way that's not a problem and we need to put these together so we're going to need the black one here okay so the curved side goes up from the little tab just like that so they should snap right in there like that and then the red one, same way, curved up from the little tab, like so, like that. The two go together, the red on the left, like that. Okay, so they should go together. Just be sure you put the black to the black and the red to the red. And they go just like that. So that was easy enough. I've also got an Icom R8600 receiver here. And I'm going to go ahead and put these on that off camera. And then I'll show you what we've done. Next part's the fun part. I get to crawl under the desk and hook the leads up to the power supply to feed the distribution board. And then we'll look and turn it on and see how much voltage is showing here. So this just kind of makes sure... If you've got a variable supply, this will allow you to have a quick look and ensure that you've got your power supply set to the right amount of voltage before you plug anything into it. These are the two. This is my main fuse. These are the two 25s I put for the rig. I just gave them a little space between them. And then I've got the 10s, 5s, and 1s here. I'm going to hook up my 8600 here receiver to one of them. I think I'll just hook it up to the five. I think this should be plenty. And it should have power. And I do. I've got some power poles for my 5100. Awesome. Well, that was really easy to hook up, and it's going to solve a lot of headaches for me. I've been having to deal with that. When we get radios in here to play with and things like that and swapping in and out my own gear, it's nice to have a common connector for the power poles, which is kind of the standard in the ham community. And that distribution strip is uh, it's just made for this purpose, so I can put things in and out. The main thing you need to do is just be careful and make sure you don't overload the amperage on your fuses and your the power supply strip itself. Before I did all that, I did check the board. I took the back off of the strip and made sure that the wire for those smaller fuses was not smaller than the one for the larger fuses. And they're actually not wired anyway. They're soldered straight onto a PC board with pretty good sized traces. So you shouldn't have any trouble with that at all. Anyway, hope you like it. This uh, I've been looking forward to hooking this up. It's going to solve a lot of headaches for me here in the shack. 
73. Our club uses them at their uh, the radio operating position in the main building, the emergency operations center. So neat, nice and organized. Yep. And you do need to be real careful to get the polarity correct when you're putting those things together. Because if you get it backwards, you won't need to do it again for that piece of gear. Uh, you, you know, you'll probably be destroying it. We need to check inventory in the warehouse and see if we have any cans of re-smoke left. Yeah, there you go. Well, we've got... I, I finally did give up on the little XT60 connectors I was using. So I, I went straight to all power poles now. Yeah, you know, if you want to take your rig somewhere else and use them with someone else, you're much more likely to find that uh, you're going to have that on the power source you need. Mm -hmm. So more interchangeable. We've got a special announcement. We have maybe teased about it before, but didn't really get that far. Yes, Emil is astounded. And Mike, too. And and Mike, too. Not quite as much as you are, or Tommy was that time. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, right now, we give you two episodes every month. One of Amateur Logic and one of Ham College. What if we had a show every week? How would you like that? Now, not not a full-length show, maybe something more digestible, uh, a smaller chunk, you know, maybe a single segment on the, on the off weeks, on the weeks that we don't have an amateur logic or a ham college. I don't know, Emil, what do you, yeah, there, how about amateur logic shorts? Do we have to wear shorts when we do them? You can. I mean, I'm wearing them right now. Yeah, it's, me too. It's that hot down here. But yeah, it is hot. TMI. TMI. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're going to be introducing a, a new, uh, shorter episode. Now, we're still going to have the normal full-length amateur logic every month, but on the in-between weeks, we're going to have Amateur Logic shorts. It'll be a, a shorter video, you know, probably in the 5 to 15-minute range of just some chunk of, of digestible video that is a project one of us has been working on, maybe ham radio-related, maybe electronics, maybe computer, uh, maybe how to lay bricks, you know, or build a fence, or we don't know what it's going to be. What? It's <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, right there, guys. Hold yeah, on. Yeah. I, I have to do my check. Hold on a second. Is this uh, gonna... your 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 idea of some kind of junk was a little bit too wordy? <laughs> <laughs> is this George? Is this going to be uh, for the same great low price as all the other shows? It it is actually going to be for the same great low price, and. Uh-huh. You know, if you add them all up, there's going to be at least two every month. So it's like a added cheapness coming your way every month. So at the end of the year, that means you're going to get 
Well, how many is that? 24 more shows at least, because some months have five weeks in them. Holy so cow. You'll get an extra short <laughs> segment that month. Man, this is, a, is it, mind okay. blown. <laughs> Excellent. So that means coming up next week. Uh, I'm not sure what day we'll release it. We'll we'll try to shoot for, um, you know, the same day every week. But uh, stay tuned. You know, check amateurlogic.tv, the website, or our social media groups, or um, yeah, Twitter. We'll be announcing the it. usual stuff and YouTube, YouTube channel. Yeah, if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, you might want to go do that. Yeah, these these I think we're probably only going to release on YouTube. So, you know, they're shorter segments, and that's probably where you'll watch it. It won't be on Roku or, um, you know, any of those places. Probably just YouTube, but uh, that's okay. Uh, you sub- go there, subscribe, and... You'll get a notification if you want notifications from YouTube every time a new one's posted. And we ask on any of the shows, if you do watch it on there, and uh, if you do see it posted on social media, if you would like and share, that really helps us out a lot to kind of grow the word here on the shows and kind of help keep things rolling and uh, bring new people in. You know, we always would uh, like to spread the word with more people. So uh, help us out there. Uh, like the videos and share them as well. Yeah, the more the more likes you get, the more YouTube will actually help kind of promote and uh, share your videos around. Yeah. So that, that's a huge help. Yeah. I was just wondering, um, we're, we're going to probably run out of ideas and thought, I was thinking that maybe maybe we could ask uh, folks in the chat room what, what it is that they might like to see in a segment. Um, and if we can do it, um, we'll, uh, we'll try to do it. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good point. We're always open to suggestions. Um, and like you say, sometimes you can't, sometimes you can. But a lot of times the ones that come in, actually all the ones that come in, if they're possible, I always keep a running list of them. And um, so it's a good chance you may see it come up at some point. So uh, send those suggestions in. And it could be some totally different stuff that you've never seen on Amateur Logic before. It's just, it's mostly going to be whatever one of us is doing that that we're brave enough to share. (laughs) You know? (laughs) I like the way you put that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. But that's pretty much what Amateur Logic is, too. So it's still going to be the same type of content that you you've seen in the past yeah hold my soldering iron and watch this <laughs> is it supposed to smell like chicken uh, not usually let's so see what um, the chat room for the chat room let's see what the uh this calls for a captain kirk uh cult consultation moment here let's see what let's see what he has to say about this stand by no one is to leave the ship okay <laughs> oh john KC7DRI said, are we going to see shorts on the Spreadshirt shop? It's not a bad idea, really. I don't see any there yet, but thanks for that, John. That was such a convenient segue that nobody saw it coming. 
<laughs> I don't think they offer shorts there. I don't know. If they do, though, we'll see if we yeah. can come we'll up with it. We'll have to look. Summer's coming up. So if you want your amateur logic or ham college swag, go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash amateur logic and uh, get you some swag. As a matter of fact, I'll spot some swag right here while we're watching the show tonight. Matching black hats. So, yeah. So you know what that these... That one doesn't even have dog uh, teeth marks on it yet. Not yet, but I have been eating some crawfish down here in the bayou, so it's gone. Oh, <laughs> oh here it goes. <laughs> we're coming up on a year for the Soundcheck Net. It started when the COVID stuff, everybody kind of got grounded from that, and it was we thought it was only going to last a few weeks. Well, it's only a few more weeks, and it's going to be going for a year. And it's a lot of fun, so it's every Tuesday night, as you can see, at 8 p.m. Central. And uh, after the time changes this week, it'll be 0100 UTC. Uh, we got a lot of modes, Echo Link. I'm not going to read them all. There's a lot of them. Pretty much every digital mode you can think of uh, we have covered. I want to thank uh, Jeff K8JTK and Brad N8PC for use of their uh, hub systems so we can have this, uh, so the net can be possible and have that many connections. So kudos to those guys for helping us out with that. Yeah, and I hope got, to see you guys or hear you on the net Tuesday nights. We've got uh, Jeff uh, K0JSC hooking us up in the west on the West Coast too, out in the Colorado area. Is he doing area. that every week? Well, I appreciate. Yeah. yeah, we need to change that and add uh, the other Jeff to it. That's two, three Jeffs really involved in the net. Uh, so anyway, K, uh, K0JSC as well. Then we might have to rename the net to the three Jeffs and a Brad. <laughs> <laughs> those are so fun though it's so fun to hear everybody in, in the stories the questions and the stories it's it's great yeah i mean I, oh yeah it's that makes it i think is besides you know having the multiple modes you can check in with and the challenge of trying to check in with different modes but having those questions just uh it kind of gives you something to talk about on the net because a lot of times People will just throw their call sign and their name in, and that's all they do on a net. But if you've got uh, a question there, you might have some information you want to share. A lot of times it's nostalgic stuff. You know, I, I learn a lot by listening to all of that. Um, sometimes some really good stuff, sometimes some really funny stuff. And sometimes some certain other people setting me up to have a year's worth of projects i'm not going to mention any <laughs> names or anything but i'm just saying yep uh jo join us on our social networks as well where where is one place that you join us tommy oh well we're on facebook uh, facebook.com slash group slash amateur logic tv and uh, mike you only do twitter i think pretty much what would you well, do there? I, I started on I started on we me we but um, yeah you can follow us at Twitter or sorry you can follow us on Twitter at Amateur Logic. Okay, and you said me we so why don't you go ahead and take that one too? And there's also mewe dot com, and uh, to join in the fun, it's mewe dot com slash join slash Amateur Logic TV. And email. What if you had a lot of groupies? 
Well, if you had groupies that were following you around, it, you would definitely go to the groups.io slash G slash amateur logic uh, mailing list there and, and app. That's uh, that's uh, they host in quite a few things besides us. And that's a that's a good place to uh, talk with your groupies. Yeah. If you had groupies, where else would you be? Yep. And you, you might want some show notes to find out what we've talked about in the past or where we covered a particular subject. You can find that out amateurlogic.tv slash wiki. Show notes there for uh, Amateur Logic and Ham College. And I guess, well, we'll uh, include the Amateur Logic shorts uh, as well. A lot of ways you can stay in contact with us throughout the month. And please do. You know, we like feedback from the viewers out there and find out what's going on, what's on your mind, and what you'd like to see and... Well, and sometimes what you didn't like to see, that can be helpful as well. Well, with that, let's, let's just go around the horn, see if there's any final comments there. Tommy, anything before we go tonight? No, just, uh, just remember about the uh, Last Man Standing event that's coming up. We're really looking forward to that. It's going to be big fun for a whole week. And uh, make a special note and join us for the... Uh, for the multi-mode QSO party that we'll have Saturday on the 27th, starting at, I think it's 1,800 UTC. 2,300 UTC, I'm sorry. And uh, lasts for about six hours. So hope to hear you guys then. Yep. And we'll be streaming some of that live, too, at least uh, uh, our portions of it. Um, So, you know, if you uh, want something to look at as well, while you're checking in the net, well, we'll have that on our live stream. Mike? Um, I have a number of people that I, I want to thank again. Um, let's see, we'll start, since we're talking about Last Man Standing, uh, Alan, the uh, editor at uh, the Canadian Amateur Magazine, for, mm-hmm. for squeezing that info in for us at the last minute. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Very, very, uh, very kind to him for, for him to do that. And also um, for Alberto IU1KVL for, uh, for doing the uh, Satsagen program and being so responsive on the group's I.O. page. And lastly, but not least, uh, uh, Cousin Jerry V3EXT and Don uh, VE3WFD for sending in those pictures of the uh, tower site, uh, the tower of the uh, repeater site. Cool. Yeah, and uh, thanks also to John Amadeo and the whole crew at Last Man Standing for nine great seasons. That's that's really unheard of. Not not hardly any shows, I think, make it that long. Uh, email, final thoughts. Well, all right, yeah. I'll, I'll give a shout-out to John Amadeo, too. Great show. I enjoyed all of them, the seasons. I watched every one of them. And the, I'm looking forward to the shorts and the... Um, the nets, um, loving meeting everybody out on the sound check nets and doing that in general. Um, if you haven't done it, get out there and talk to us. It's awesome. Um, and looking also forward to finishing some of my projects before I start having a box of unfulfilled dreams here. So <laughs> I'll be back. Not the slacker of the, uh, the month this time or next time. Okay. John really has been a good ambassador for, for ham radio and uh, brought it to a lot of people's attention through that show so really appreciate him for doing all that yeah and and i come too for following through and 
you know, um, supplying the radios and such and help promoting the show and everyone who did it. 7-3, everyone, thanks for being here tonight and join us uh, next week for the first episode of Amateur Logic Shorts. And who's going to model the shorts? Yeah, we hadn't decided that. Next up here, we've got a post. I've gotten Mike written there, but I I know that it's email instead. Email. Yes. What were you going? Well, no. I think actually it is Mike. Never mind. <laughs> forget what forget what I was saying there. Emil, where's Mike? Yeah. <laughs> Mike, I think you had something you wanted to mention at this point in the show, a post that you saw recently. Uh, which post was that? Is that yours? That's Emil's. That's, That's mine. That's Tom's. Yeah, that That's his. Okay. <laughs> Who's on Mike, first? never mind what I was saying there. Uh, Tommy, uh, 